deadliest attacks on French soil since World War II. After jihadists charged the Bataclan Concert Hall, Paris's cafe terraces, and the Saint-Denis Sports Arena. To bring closure, catharsis, and above all justice for the November 2015 attacks, France has been holding since September 2021 a trial of those involved, with a verdict expected on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to France in Focus, I'm Solange Mougin. There are over a million pages of evidence, some 2,500 plaintiffs and over 300 lawyers. The trial of the November 13th Paris attacks is the largest in French history to date. We spoke to a trial journalist, a lawyer and a victim they've been following for the past 10 months this trial. And they told us how the trial reconstructed the events of November 13th, 2015. On that dreadful night, Aurélie Sylvestre was 34. The mother of a three-year-old boy and five months pregnant with a little girl, she stayed home that night, instead of accompanying her partner Mathieu Giroux to the Bataclan Concert Hall. He was killed there by jihadists. Hello, Aurélie. Uh, thank you for speaking to France 24. Thank you for welcoming us into your home. Um, it has been six years since your companion Mathieu was assassinated at the Bataclan. Uh, while the trauma of that does not go away, you are a mom, you are a survivor, you are very vocal about the beauty of life as well. Um, how has this trial, six years later, affected the work of rebuilding your life? Well, in fact, it was six years before this trial started, and so during that time, for six years, I wasn't too interested in thinking about the facts, about what happened to me on November 13th. I was dealing with the pain, the grief, the loss of Mathieu, and I tried to be there for my children. So when the trial started, it was as if I was gearing up to confront that trauma. So from the 8th of September, when the trial started, I started confronting that trauma. I started addressing the fact that the man I loved had been murdered. He wasn't just dead, he'd been murdered by terrorists. You said you were hesitant to take part in this trial, uh, but you decided to do so, often on a daily basis. Um, what pushed you to follow the trial? Everything happened on the first day. I didn't think I was going to go there, but then I went for a drink with a friend of mine who was involved in the case, a plaintiff, and he said, come with me to the Palais de Justice, the courtroom. And I said, okay, I can go with you. And we got to the front of the building, and he didn't have ID, it was a bit complicated, and we got caught up in the crowd, and somehow, two seconds later, I found myself in the room. I hadn't planned to be there, I didn't want to be there initially. I thought it would have been very difficult to get in there, in fact, it should have been, but it was quite simple. So there I was in that room, sat at the back, and I saw all of these people, hundreds of people sat there. So I said to myself, okay, these people have gone through something that's comparable to what I've experienced. And on that day, the terrorists stood up one by one and introduced themselves. And that's when I thought, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. And then the president of the court, Jean-Louis Perriers, read out the list of victims, and I felt like he was calling on their ghosts. So I thought, I get it. And I came back the next day, and then the next day. Your testimony at the bar was both incredibly heartbreaking, but also a beautiful lesson of courage and resilience. Um, has telling your story brought catharsis, closure, 
uh, or is it just the start of digesting your personal trauma in a larger context? For me, it was a very important moment, and I said as much. I laid out my story. I know that I also wrote a book. The book was a fitting tribute to Mathieu, and the courtroom was the right place for that particular story, so I could leave it there, in fact. So for me, it was a climax to the story. Having said that, I do carry that story with me every day in my life. It's my daily reality. So it wasn't as if it was an enormous symbolic moment. However, it was important for my loved ones who were there. They were in the room in this tragic cathedral of sorts. And for them to hear me telling this story, well, it was very important for them. Is there an apprehension for the future, uh, for when this trial is over or for in 50 years when the video of the trial is released? I'm certainly apprehensive about the end, because what we've just experienced effectively put us in a bubble for 10 months, where we were able to take care of each other, talk about what we went through. So the fact that it's ending, yes, it's quite something. What will we do next? At the same time, it's been seven years. It will be on November 13th. That's a real cycle. So I think that it will mark the end of this huge chapter and that there will be an after, and we'll see what that is. Ten months is a long time for a trial. This one is unprecedented in its scope. Is there, has there been a collective experience? Yes, obviously. In fact, there's never been a trial that lasted for ten months, and we found ourselves together every day, so we did become quite close, not just among the victims, but we also formed bonds with journalists, lawyers. We experienced incredible things in that room. We looked evil in the face to a certain extent. We also saw some of the best of humanity. As a collective experience, it's an unprecedented thing that we went through together, with the other plaintiffs, of course, even more so. The fact that we have this date, November 13th, in our lives, we were able to discuss what it means to be a victim, when are you less so, and to be able to do that together, that meant that the whole experience was exceptional. Well, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for the taking your time and, and sharing your story. Maître Victor Edou doesn't normally practice law involving criminal terrorists. But after nearly losing a friend at the Bataclan, he offered to represent civil parties in the trial. Working with a collective of lawyers, he pleaded the case of some of the victims. Maître Edou, thank you for speaking with us here in your law offices. You followed the trial for a dozen clients. Could you help us understand why this trial is unlike any other that's happened in France before? This trial is truly one of a kind. First, because of the seriousness of the crimes which were committed. These were the bloodiest terror attacks in French history. There were two and a half thousand plaintiffs who testified. It was also unique because of the length of the trial, as it lasted ten months. And the way it was organized was exceptional. A courtroom was built specially for this case so victims could testify and so the 14 defendants could be tried. There was a top-notch setup for a trial that will definitely be an important part of French judicial history. 
There have been terrorism trials before in France and also abroad. Uh, what lessons have been learned from those trials? And is this trial uh, a sort of guideline for how to hold and how not to hold uh, a trial of this size? What we learned from previous trials is that the plaintiff's case can be overwhelming because of their sheer numbers. So there was a collective effort amongst all those involved, notably the lawyers representing the victims, to not overshadow the defense simply by their numbers. What we learned from the January 2015 trial is that the defense needs to have its place and the prosecution shouldn't hold too much weight. Are there things in this trial uh, that were brought to light that weren't known before? In terms of the substance of the file, the role of those involved and the organization of the attack, we did not learn much more than what we knew already, often because of the silence of some and due to inconsistencies of the different versions of the story that may have been provided by the accused. There are still pieces missing from the big puzzle of these attacks. Another major question, a somewhat sociological question, is that of how young French and Belgians could have fallen into this radicalism, this violence. The trial didn't provide us with an answer to that. There have been great signs of humanity in this trial, in the testimonies of the bereaved, uh, but also towards the accused. Can you tell us about this? This was made possible by the long duration of the trial. There are three of the defendants who are not detained. These defendants spent time with us. We would smoke cigarettes outside, we'd drink coffee together during breaks. So it was quite extraordinary. I know that they got very close to certain victims. Some victims brought them to the scene of the attacks, so they saw the Bataclan and the restaurants. So there was this sort of restorative justice, where I think it overwhelmed the defendants. Even with the accused who are detained, we saw them every day, we talked to them every day. When we first entered the courtroom, we didn't know what to expect. After all, these defendants committed the deadliest attacks in the history of France. And then we realized that in fact they're people with feelings who you can talk to. And that's the strength of the trial being as long as it is, that humanity triumphs in the end. Can you tell us why you chose to take part in this trial and also what lessons you may have, have, have uh, learned from the trial? I knew some of the victims well, and so did my colleagues. So we decided to take their case. As a Parisian and as someone in his 30s at the time of the attacks, we were all involved and implicated as we felt victimed of these attacks, even if indirectly. So on a personal level, it was something extraordinary. It's a unique experience to be able to be there for the victims. But actually the nation itself is also the victim. The victims of the attacks took the bullets in our place as French citizens. So obviously we were all the more involved because we felt targeted ourselves, even if it was indirectly. thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Michael Fitzpatrick is a journalist at RFI. He's been following the trial from within the hallowed halls of central Paris's courthouse. Michael Fitzpatrick, hello. Thank you for speaking to us. This is a very important trial for France as a nation. Is there a specific French stamp on it compared to, say, other terrorist trials that have occurred elsewhere? The alternative, the negative alternative is Guantanamo Bay. 
a nation suffers a terrible attack and instead of having the courage to say, right, we have a means to deal with this. It may not be the correct means. It may not give all the answers. It may not do the job finally, but we will try. Uh, Guantanamo Bay, there are still, if I'm not mistaken, 43 men are still held there 20 years after the events. Uh, and, and that seems to me to be a denial of justice, a denial of democracy, a denial of everything that we're supposed to stand for. The 13th of November was a, tra a national trauma, much more so for the people who also, the victims. Um, to what extent has that collective trauma entered into the courtroom? It's been simply enormous. We had five weeks of uh, testimony from the victims, from the families of the bereaved, and, and that was uh, that verged on the almost impossible for a great many of us. I was not able to come to court every day because the, the emotional build-up was such that um, it was an enormously difficult time. There were, of course, uh, moments of, of, of great beauty, of great heroism, of, uh, of uh, even, would you believe, of humor. I mean, uh, we, we heard some funny stories in the midst of all the darkness. There were funny stories. but. Uh, that, that was hugely, humanly demanding. Is there one particular memory that you will take away from this trial, a lesson? There is one particular memory, and, and that without hesitation. In the very early days of the trial, the president began reading his report. And the president's report is an enormous document. It's an attempt to summarize one million pages of evidence, and it was long. And it went on, read in three voices for several days. And some of those days lasted till 11 o'clock at night. But they hadn't got the feeding arrangements right. And so some of the days, it was obvious that the guys in the prisoner's box had not received any food since maybe 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember seeing families from the public benches going up to the box and passing biscuits through the glass slots to the guys who were suspected of killing or contributing to the killing of their children. And I thought, and that's lived with me uh, since the start. Thank you, Michael. That's all we have time for. Thank you for watching and stay tuned for more news on France 24.